Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We're about, a, you know, just over a week out from our big Killarney run. Uh, so we're we're starting to walk more normally and, and, and feel, you know, good going upstairs and pedaling bicycles and so forth. And your parents are less worried about my my permanent limp on my left leg. Yeah, they were a little worried Molly had injured herself beyond repair, but uh, she was fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're a week out, and as we promised in last week's episode, we decided we would record a, a full episode about this. I think, actually, it's funny, on our website, consummateathlete.com, one of the like highest-ranked like pages has been like anything we write about the Cloche Silhouette yeah, Trail. Yeah, I saw that today. I guess you saw the, the same search report. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's perennial, or annual? What I, <laughs> it's always like that. Uh, mm. La Cloche is just this... Um, you know, great rugged trail in Ontario. It has, you know, a lot of interest in what, like whether you're thinking about hiking it or running it. Um, it's it's just got a great allure, allure because I think it's, you know, it's a few hours from Toronto. It's not too far out there. You can still, you know, you can kind of get there in a day. Um, so yeah, it's a, and it's a beautiful, really tough trail. So it's about 75 kilometers. It's about 2,500 meters of climbing. So quarter of an Everest, we'll say, uh, and very, very up and down. So no one sustained climb or anything like that. Uh, it's very just punchy. Like it, that trail feels like it's just punching you in the face the entire time. Yeah. I don't even know if it's the climbing, like it's not so much, uh, for the distance. Uh, I don't know. The There's time. a couple blazes where someone has taken a Sharpie to them and just written like WTF at the bottom of where it yeah. just, the trail just goes up. Yeah. It's pretty funny for sure. Uh, not that it's insignificant climbing. That's obviously a lot of climbing, but uh, you know, any one chunk is, you know, they're not mount- mountains. They were mountains They're you know, but they're not, you know, we're talking a hundred meters, 300 feet, you know, at a time for the most part, it's not, uh, you know, giant. Right. You're never you're never climbing for hours. You're maybe climbing for what would it be? Five minutes, six minutes. Yeah, that like kind that of thing. At most. Yeah. But it's just I found this time, especially just the the amount of time that you just can't run. Right. And that's mm-hmm. our friend Eric, who ha- has held the FKT on and off and for many years. Uh, he's been on the podcast talking about hiking it and a couple of different topics. You know, you know, he'll get these messages where people will just do the math on 75 K, whatever that is, 45 miles or whatever it is. Um, you know, and, and it takes, what, what's the record for men is nine hours or something. Yeah, just over nine hours. So, you know, you do the math and you're like, well, that's not fast at all. Yep. Right. But then you get there and there's large, large chunks where you're, you know, hands and knees going up or hands and knees going down, or, or it's just so technical that you can't really run very quickly. Right. And it's funny, it's such an easy trail to underestimate. And this is despite the fact that we've, ne- like, Peter's run it, Peter ran it with Eric, like, way, way back, like, 10 years ago. 
Uh, we've hiked it twice together. We've been there for sort of like mini training camps where we've run big chunks of it. We've attempted the run before and got turned around. Uh, those of you who want to laugh at, uh, you know, looking at failures, I've written about that situation ad nauseum over on the site and how we've, you know, not managed to do the run clean in the past. Uh, so despite all of that, I still underestimated every time. Heck, we finished it and I was still underestimating it despite the fact that we had just done it and I was literally limping back to the campsite. Right, right. So I guess today, you know, we're, we're hoping if someone's really interested in Killarney, there's maybe some some tips and, and experience that you might take from it. If you're just looking at, you know, doing maybe a more wilderness run or something longer, maybe there's some, some takeaways as well. Uh, is there any other, what other benefits could people take from this episode? I think anyone with any kind of more of these like FKT, whether you're talking about like bike packy or hiking or running, any of that kind of goal where you're not on a race course, you're not really, you know, you're not going to have an aid station part of the way. You're relying entirely on yourself, right? Yourselves in our case, which is sort of what makes this tough for sure. So, did you want to start with training or did you want to start more with the, the challenge that it is or where, where are you thinking safety? <laughs> yeah, all of the above. Um, I mean, I think like training is a good one because we've we've heard we've seen a couple people like you kind of said eric has gotten tons of messages from people who just kind of assume they can go out and do it uh and i don't think anyone has ever i don't think anyone they don't ever contacted yeah well they certainly didn't beat him uh, in any case right but yeah and there's people that will go and you know lots of people limp in and you know you can walk it if you wanted to in a full day if you just started in the dark and finished in the dark and you know kept walking you, you, you could do it, right? Like that math works fine. You can do it in your head. Um, you know, 20 hours times 4K an hour and just walk vigorously. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's so many people who do it who are like, ah, oh, yes, I decided to train for this goal like three or four months ago. I will say. I, I don't have... know if there's that many people that say that. It's a lot more that are just going to do it this week. True. Yeah. I've now been training for that for four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you try it a bunch, right? And Ryan Atkins is no different. You know, he did lots of other stuff. I think while you're training for this, you can be gaining other experiences and skills and fitness. Uh, but yeah, he tried a lot of times, right? Yeah. Which is similar to any race. You know, people want to go to something like Leadville, right? And they, they have a gold belt, buck, belt buckle, which is nine hours. So you complete this hundred mile race at altitude in under nine hours. And that for most people is a huge accomplishment, but like anything where it's at altitude and tons of climbing and a hundred miles and traveling to the event, a lot of stuff goes wrong, right? So for most people, the the goal is to, to finish in under 12 hours, um, which is a silver belt buckle. Um, and then from there, then you can start chipping away at, at more, right? And there's the odd person, you know, if you're world tour racer, obviously you can go and try and finish in under seven or something like that but that's not the majority of people yeah and i mean the the thing with with my goal on it was definitely i i wanted to do it quickly and i really wanted to get below the current unsupported fkt uh so for anyone who's unfamiliar with fkts uh a go back and listen to the episode we did we did with hillary spires uh where we talked through what all the different fkt stuff means that's fastest known time for those not in sort of the running Uh, side of things and there's you know at this point there's a couple categories there's men and women but then there's supported and unsupported so supported doesn't just mean that someone is like handing you like stuff supported means anyone is with you so 
because Peter was with me, it would be a supported FKT if I got it. Um, even though I carried all of my own supplies and like did not rely on Peter for. Like, yeah. I mean, some of it is safety and how much you have to carry, right? Like that's sort of what makes uh, an unsupported FKT such a big deal, especially on a course like this, right? Is it's quite risky. Uh, so you would presumably carry more supplies if you had to spend the night or injured yourself, you know, probably have a beacon to try and alert people. There's a lot of stuff that has to go into that, right? And let alone the mental factors when you're on your own, right? You're not motivated. You know, we were doing, you know, this time much better than last time we did, you know, slightly off course, miss a, a sign. So you have two people citing for, you know, course markings as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, on the on the note of safety, you know, anytime you're going into the backcountry and actually Hillary Spires, when she was on for the second time, she and I talked a lot about the safety stuff when it comes to trail running. And I think that's when we were prepping for this, that was what we talked about the most was, you know, just making sure you're safe on this trail. Because once you're once you're out, you're you're out. It's a loop. There's an amazing sign like 100 meters in or 50 meters in or something that just says, like, just so you know, you're beginning the start of a seven day loop. Right. Uh, so do not do not just keep going. Which I'm told is the much more enjoyable way to take in the mm. Lacloche Silhouette Trail. I'm, uh, I'm sure it is because mm-hmm. I did not see a whole lot. Yeah, the group of seven, I guess, was the the, the famous artists. They, that's they sort of popularized that area by painting and 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 you know going around this area. Um, so there's it's got a lot of history. You might you might even have a, a print in your home right now from Killarney. Very few people, I'm sure, have that. But well, a print, maybe. I didn't say the actual, like, actual Fair enough. Fo- painting. Anyway, safety-wise, uh, so what did we do safety-wise? We had, in our packs, we had an actual beacon thing. Uh, we also had a first aid kit, and not just, like, a little one from Walmart that's, like, six bucks. We actually, like, thought through sort of exactly what we wanted in it. Which probably ends up being lighter than your generic safe like first aid so. kit. Yeah, and but I mean, I always look at first aid kits, and it's how much of that stuff are you actually going to use? You well, know, what or you, is helpful, yeah. right? Yeah, like, some of the stuff. So that's what I learned in wilderness first aid last year as we sort of went through, just a lot of the stuff. You know, that classic emergency blanket or triangular bandage that you carry, they're horrible when you open up the these. You know, you say department store cheapies. Uh, so sometimes you, you, the wilderness first aid instructor I had, he makes a lot of his triangular bandages out of old, uh, what are they? Bed sheets, Bed right? sheets or pillowcases or something where they're, they're a nice cotton fabric and you can actually tie them really nicely. Uh, and you know, the aluminum foil blanket is nice, but again, you probably have to pay a bit more to get something that actually would be, <laughs> you know, you'd be happy to have or at least thankful for versus, mm-hmm. you know, like a napkin that sort of is ripping on you as you're trying to spread it out. Yeah. So we actually have a, an emergency two-person bivy that's the similar like foil material and stuff, but it's a, a much fancier one, much pricier. It's actually very like irritating to have had it for as long as we've had right. it. And never use it. Never yeah. use it. Yeah, a lot of the stuff's like that. Yeah, the beacon and stuff is very expensive and you just hope you never have to use it. Yeah. And hope, I mean, hope you know how to use it because yeah. they're sort of complicated. But I think the other, the other things in our first aid kit that are worth pointing out uh, that people seem kind of surprised by is we actually bring hockey tape instead of any kind of medical tape. Oh, I had um, medical tape too. Okay. Yeah. But hockey tape is awesome for, pe- you know, patching stuff. So if your shoe goes on you or your bag rips. Or, yeah. I mean, and we're talking your- shin. It's important you, you don't have the hockey steeping, but it's shin pad tape, the clear tape, more than the, uh, like, stick tape, not the, yeah, different tape. Uh, probably duct tape would be fine, too. But I find I lo- the, ho- the shin pad tape, 
I like because it stretches more. Mm-hmm. So if you have to, you know, really tie something on really Maybe well. Maybe if you had to like make a splint or something like that, you could use it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And I, I don't, I haven't had to really wrap it around my own leg, you know, with gauze or something. I, I, I assume it'll stay on decently and hopefully not be quite as painful as ripping duct tape off when it goes to come off, but probably not your biggest concern if that happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we bring that. The other thing I was, uh, my one ultra running friend was surprised to hear that I carry is actually like Pepto Bismol tablets. And I know it sounds silly, but I mean, nausea at sort of like hour 10 or, you know, when you're pretty far in is a pretty common occurrence. Yeah. I haven't actually heard that. I didn't actually know you had that in your pack, yeah. but uh, yeah. And I have the allergy ones, which I can never remember. Benadryl. Yeah. We yeah. also bring Benadryl because we've had some brutal like bug bite situations and you just never know. Yeah. I, I'm not ever concerned too concerned, but I have a few friends who can have like pretty, you know, and that I guess the, these pills help when they have some sort of allergic reaction. Like I don't, it's not like a anaphylactic, phylactic. <laughs> yeah, like it's not an EpiPen. Yeah, but. it's not an EpiPen. Like these aren't bee stings necessarily, but I, I don't know. Probably it would help in that case. I'm not sure. If you, yeah, probably like a I'm, little dicey. I'm sensitive to wasp stings, so if I had gotten like a bad one, I probably would have ended up popping one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's in addition to you know your usual like acetaminophen type thing. That again, it's not something that I recommend taking like mm-hmm. just sort of throughout your run, but it's good to have those things. Just the other of- thing I have that I learned from wilderness first aid was uh, paracord. So it's like a really strong like you could hang off of it basically. But I think I have ten feet which isn't a ton. You could probably carry more, uh, but that's enough that you could make even a sling out of that if you wanted. Um, you know, if you had to hang up, you know, something to try and make a structure, you could use it for that too. If your if your pack broke, you could tie a strap back together, maybe tie your wife to your back and hike her out. Well, for sure. You know, at some point that might be, you know, something too, that you look at too, right? If you're trying to help someone with a sling or tie, you know, if you had poles or something that you're trying to do like that, for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was our, our sort of primary first aid stuff and, you know, then a few various bandages and gauzes and stuff like that. But I think like my, my big advice there for anyone who's doing something like this is to like take your first aid seriously and think through like what would you need in a traumatic situation? Like mm-hmm. it's good to have a couple band-aids, sure. But like if you scrape yourself, you're probably not stopping for a band-aid but you're going to want like a gauze and some kind of tape situation for if you have a major thing. Yeah. So it's really about thinking about your emergency action plan. You you know, how are you going to deal with everything from, again, falling and someone cuts their knee, you know, a pack snaps, you know, someone starts feeling poorly, you know, your knee, which I guess we can talk about a bit started hurting, you know, what is the turnaround strategy? Are we going to split up, right? Like you sort of were thinking maybe today isn't the day pretty early, we hadn't you know, really talked through, you know, would I continue? Was there a scenario where I would continue on my own? You would not. Um, well, in some groups though, right? This is, you know, maybe you have a, a group of five and is there a strategy like, will we continue? Or is it like the group staying together, right? This can help avoid any any weird, you know, people feeling bad or mad or, or getting into bad situations later. And then thinking through those worst case, right? Like someone actually has a bad tumble and is unconscious, right? And you're at kilometer 40 of 80, and what do you do? Yeah, I mean, this all sounds pretty dramatic, but again, you know, you're you're out in the middle of nowhere. Like this is these are very like real scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, people get rescued off that trail 
like all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. And it can happen to anyone, right? I don't think there's, at some point there's risk, right? Yeah, and exactly. there's just no way around that. So we, again, we have a rescue beacon. We have the spot tracker, which I don't know if it's the best one or which other. And there's that, there's another, what's the other company called? Well, uh, a, a lot of companies have them. Like, like Garmin, Garmin has, Garmin has something too. Um, but yeah, all that to say, kind of any of these adventures, just really taking the time to think through all of those like safety and emergency preparedness aspects. I think it's just, it's so important. And especially as more and more people are getting into this stuff, like the FKT craze of 2020, we'll say, has really gotten a lot of people into pushing these limits. Well, and into trail running or they've spent more time since now they're fitter and then there's less races. So what, how are you going to push yourself? I think probably it'll die down once there's more races and more traveling again. And, you know, Clarny won't be as important, but as you say, it's, it's been popular now. Eric and I did that, I think, in 2010 or 11. So, I mean, we're going on, you know, 10 years of this being pretty popular. Mm-hmm. So, there's that. I, I think the other concept with risk and first aid, not to really belabor this, but again, when we're out there, you have to be careful. And I think us on the East Coast, you know, the the central you know side of things, maybe it's not as, as big a deal, right? Maybe people on the West Coast are more familiar because of mountains and how weather can influence things and being aware of avalanches and bears. And, you know, we don't have, although we did see a bear. We did see bears. Uh, very close. So we, I used my West Coast knowledge from back, you know, when, when we've ridden out he, there. He just yelled a bunch. Yeah, I tried to talk to the bear. Um, so... The other thing we do, which I think we both believe in pretty uh, strongly, not that we'll ever never go the other way, but this is a loop um, that ends sort of on either side of a campground. You start in a campground, you run into the wilderness, you come back a while later. And so you can go one way or the other. So we've always gone, Eric and I started this way and I just really don't like change. So we sort of kept going uh, clockwise. Whereas the trend seems to be that most people are going counterclockwise. And the, the part of the reason we think that this is important is you know, there's a lot of these touch points on this loop where, you know, the the public can paddle into one point called Silver Peak. Uh, there's also a popular thing called the crack. And then there's a highway access. And the highway access is, how far into it are you? Maybe 70 of the 75 or 70, you know, 69 sort of thing yeah. of the 75 yeah, or 76. Yeah, you're pretty close to the campground, but it is a, it's a, both a bailout and you have a lot more people who are coming off of the highway mm-hmm. into this very technical section. So in the last... 25k we probably saw most of the people we saw we saw i think 10 of the 14 people. and in any of these emergencies there's like okay there's the like get the ambulance or the air ambulance or the evac however it happens but there's also like the kindness kindness of strangers right it might just be that you need you know someone to let you you know in their their campground or whatever right um it might be just help hobble you out it might be they have a spot tracker you know any of these things are are lifelines right you don't want to abuse these lifelines but our thinking is that in that last half it's nicer to have some of those things rather than just being out in the wilderness and having to default to some sort of you know evac or or you know bad situation like that right you know the even just that last 6k being open i think is 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 a really nice one right someone could probably get there in in a variety of situations and use that right and that would be really great so thinking about this i guess the message is that you know is there options like this where you can sort of reduce the risk Mm -hmm, right and that's when we look at risk it's always like can you pass the risk on to someone else with insurance or you know a guide or something like that uh or can you avoid it just by not going or doing a shorter loop or you know whatever padding you know these would i guess padding would be reducing the risk Yeah. And I think just having this all in mind, like, again, we're not saying no one should do these adventures, um, but I think actually you feel better about going out on them when you do have all of this stuff lined up. Yeah. And, you know, you have your maps, you have, you know, the route, you know, the where the water is is another consideration. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's that's the sort of scary stuff. But what uh, training wise, is there anything in that that you want to talk about? I don't know if my training is more interesting than yours or not. Well, yours is probably more interesting, but I would say mine has just been consistent. Like this is the first time in my like the past couple of years has been sort of the first time where I would say I've been just truly consistent with sticking, you know, with a plan that my coach has like and just. And this is steadily putting in the work. I was thinking this is interesting for ultra running because your longest run is actually longer than your race, which is not often the case. Yeah, funny enough. Uh, well, there were there was a couple of reasons for that. So anyone who's been listening to the show knows that uh, a couple of months ago I did a hundred k on trail, and that wasn't actually my goal for the season. It was a goal. I was very excited about it, um, but that wasn't really like the main thing. This this Lacloche run was my main thing, but. A, I had 100K on my bucket list of things I wanted to do. Um, and B, honestly, La Cloche is really, really hard. It's, you know, almost 80K. And I knew if I did 100K, it was going to, like, shift my mindset around La Cloche and make it a bit more manageable. Because until then, I'd only done, I think, like, 55K was my longest run. Right. So to have this super technical run be your longest run ever uh, is just it's asking a lot and actually like my time for La Cloche is not that much shorter than my time for the 100k mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is again sort of that deceptive maybe people use their 100k time as their base for this or something right if, if, i don't know if most people can do that but if you had one yeah so, some of these go. people who are comparing it to races or and whatever and actually it was comparable elevations too which in my head like dummy that i am i was like ah yes I mean, they're similar elevations, so Laclos should be easier because it's a similar elevation, but it's shorter. Turns out, similar elevation but shorter means a lot more climbing in a shorter period of time. Mm. So it's 25k less, but you're still climbing 2,500 meters. So it's it's a lot. What people like mileage? Do you have any idea of your your mileage on average, or in the last couple of weeks, or the t- the thing? the last couple of weeks are not super indicative because I did the hundred K five weeks out from doing La Cloche. So I did that on purpose because I don't really love like long tapers. So we sort of planned it where I would basically just have like a month and a half of tapering where I would taper for the hundred K do the hundred K recover, do a bit more training and then be sort of into that taper. Um, so those weeks aren't really necessarily like great indicators of what I'd been doing, but you, most weeks I wouldn't say I go that far over 60, 65 miles a week, uh, which has been pretty like spot on, like good for me, I think. Okay. Sometimes you see that as, you know, gradually building up to about that race mileage for running Mm -hmm. uh, in the week. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people always see like the marathoners who are running like the hundred plus mile weeks. Um, and maybe start feeling a bit of FOMO. But I mean, especially when you're talking about some of the runs being on trail and stuff, like I just don't think most of us need that super high mileage. Well, it's hard to equate it for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't, it's sort of like the mountain bikers versus road, right? Like you sort of lose out on the distance a little bit. Okay. Uh, what about, what would you say, like what were the like bread and butter workouts in the last, you know, training period? Really? It's just like weekend longer trail runs. I mean, that said, I do do one interval workout a week. I hate it. I dislike it. Every week when I go through it, I get going. I say, 
well, you know what? I'll just get through the warm up, and if I'm still not feeling like I want to do this, I just won't do it. And then every week I end up doing it. Okay. Um, uh, and not much strength training. You sort of kept your yoga in throughout that. But yeah, the... I had done strength training a bit in the winter, and I actually dropped it out uh, for the couple months sort of heading into this just to yeah. like really focus in. It's but tough with running and trail running, I think. You know? It's a lot. And you do your clamshells, and you do you know what probably some people would consider strength and core, and you do push-ups each morning. and Yeah, like, yeah. The, like every day I do my like 15-minute core stuff in the morning, and then I do pull-ups throughout the day. So it's not like I'm not doing anything, but... Definitely less and no super structured. Um, and you had fairly interesting training, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, like, I would say this is your most consistent running you've done in a really long time. Well, I, was, I did an Instagram post, which I'll try and remember to put in the show notes, too, that just sort of highlighted a bit of sort of the, you know, the, the highlights of this. You know, we prepared over a long time and went to the event. So we were familiar with the event. Uh, you know, we would sort of prepared for it, I guess, right? The, the event specifically. Uh, but this was also the year that I have done, like we did a, I don't think I actually ran to 50K. I think I ended up only running maybe 46 or 47 the day you did 100. But then DW, our, our dachshund, and I probably covered maybe 10K over the course of that day, just sort of running around chasing Molly and, and sort of just meeting at some of the water stops and stuff. So um, that day felt good. And just, you know, what I watch for with my running, because I usually have a fair bit of cycling load and I'm doing, you know, my sort of two interval sessions on bike each week. I, a lot of my running is just, you know, steady and I'm just trying to build that like all day pace. So you can call that mafetone training or you can call it, you know, whatever. I, I don't really run over 140 beats very often, which for me is maybe like, you know, 70% maybe max heart rate. And yeah, so it just started rolling that. So I do a lot of 5k to five mile runs around town. Sometimes they're on trail, but usually it's around town. I tried to include at least once a week, midweek, because uh, I found that it, for me, it's like I end up like not forgetting to run for like a bunch of days early in the week. Now, it should be said, you're also riding a fair bit here too. Well, it's that's that's like how I forget. Yeah. And in my dream world, I have time to do both in the day, but it's been very busy. So it was less so. So I tried to always, you know, by Wednesday, at least get in a we have a loop around town that's right around 15 K. I think I wanted it to be 16 K, but I always was sort of bored by that point. So I ended up trying to just do that midweek and was pretty successful with just doing that. And, you know, the first time it hurt a little bit and, you know, I actually had to stop, you know, for a snack. And then I felt like, you know, endurance and just sort of being able to roll comfortably around that. And then from there, the speed on that came up and just comfortable again, just keeping that heart rate. And so that was good. And ran that with packs, the pack most times as well, just so the pack was on and I was used to the pack. It wasn't rubbing me. And then on the weekends, most weekends, I would try and get out with you guys and do a bit of group running. You and I were running together most of the time. Uh, and just building that up. So I think I had a bunch of 20s, maybe a 30, and then this 46K and just spaced them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 50K was big. Like, it was hard for me. Like, that took a whole week. I don't know if I even ran after the 50K. Uh, that was a pretty tired week. And I think with the running, it's definitely that neuromuscular fatigue where you just, again, tough going upstairs, tough to accelerate, uh, muscular. Like, you just feel like when you're pedaling the bike or trying to run, like, you just have just feels hard, right? Cause your muscles are, are tired. Mm-hmm. So I think just respecting that. And I think the biggest thing is just, I didn't run if my foot hurt, I usually have foot or ankle sort of pain. Uh, and so it just would mean walking or, or just skipping that run. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing is, is not running injured and in training. Yes, definitely. Which yeah. I think, uh, you can attribute to a bit of Dan John who 
what is his exact quote? I know you, you've been referencing. We don't get injured in training. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. And again, I always caveat that like it probably does happen a little bit, um, in these sports that are more, you know, certainly mountain biking. I was going to say, I mean, it's going to happen, but what he's trying to say is just like, you shouldn't really be pushing in training to the point where you end up getting injured. Well, I guess that risk reward, right? I mean, it's, it's risk management. The same thing I was just talking about there earlier with, with first aid, right? It's, you know, if, if, if you don't, why would you risk it? Like, what are you trying to gain? You know, is the, is the benefit of this one 5k to five mile run going to be worth setting back my foot and then being injured and limping through, right? So, yes. And we will get to the limping through in just a second, but we are going to take a quick pause for an ad break. We're just taking a quick break from today's episode to talk to you about inside tracker. So you want to take charge of your health and wellness. That's why you're here. You're trying to do all the right things for your body to get more energy, better sleep, and a healthy immune system, and you probably want to improve your performance. And of course, live a healthy, adventurous life for a long time. But it's confusing out there. There's so much information and misinformation, and what works for someone else might not work for you. You want a clear picture of what your body looks like on the inside. A clear measure of whether your diet and exercise choices are helping or hurting and a clear idea of who and what to trust when it comes to health, wellness, and performance guidance. Founded in 2009, Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. The recommendations that come from the analysis are ultra-personalized, and you can choose the ones that are most compatible with your lifestyle. Each recommendation is directly linked to a peer-reviewed scientific publication. And Inside Tracker doesn't just show the normal biomarker zones, they show you the optimal biomarker zones and numbers that are best for your body. And now, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash consummate. That is insidetracker.com slash consummate. All right, now back to the episode. All right, and we're back. Okay, so we've now kind of been talking about the lead up, the safety, sort of all of that stuff, but let's talk about the the trail itself. So, I mean, the one thing we've learned in the past couple of years is that obviously the La Cloche Silhouette Trail is not a joke, hence all of the safety considerations earlier. Um, but what, what makes it really interesting, I think, is that the first, I'd say 10K, almost no matter which direction you go, whether you go clockwise or counterclockwise, is easily the most runnable two sections of the entire trail. So the endings are the the easiest sections to run, which is great, uh, except it kind of throws off your your pacing strategy, we'll say. So any any thoughts on sort of how we looked at pacing? I don't know if it, do you think it throws it off the pacing strategy? I guess some people might start too aggressively. Is that what you mean? Or actually start too optimistically, which I think has definitely been the case for me. Um, and I mean, this this one is a little different because my knee started bothering me partway through and that sort of forced a reframe. But I think even the, the last time we tried to run it when we had our navigational mishap, I definitely in my head, I was like, we're on track for like a nine and a half. Like this is going to be right. just all laughs, no right. problems. So dividing it by distance, it doesn't take the same amount of time for each unit of distance. Yeah. And right. actually your Garmin had uh, probably like my least favorite feature on it, but probably the most helpful was that uh, 
it actually had so we had the course loaded in Peter's cycling Garmin, and it actually was telling us that you know how many climbs there were, and it was like the bigger climbs, right? Uh, and I thought that was actually really really helpful. So how many were there? Like ten? It categorized them as ten. I mean, there you go down in some of these. They're not none of them are again mountains, but yeah, that was the idea. There were sort of these ten sections that were you know net climbing, and they were in sort of that hundred to two hundred meter or three hundred to six hundred feet. Uh, range once you got through the whole thing, but it, and they ranged maybe from a mile up to you know 4k or something like that. Yeah, and so just sort of knowing that they were on there was helpful. But I think just anytime you're doing any of these FKT things, I mean, we talked about it before, people always talk to Eric about, oh, you know, like I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna go for it, and just don't necessarily either look at the profile and see the elevation or just understand quite how technical it is. I think I didn't respect how rooty it is. And I say that literally every time, whether we're hiking it or running it, I think every single time we've done it, I've come out and said, huh, I always forget how rocky and rooty it is because there's mm-hmm. so much of it. Where I don't know if it's necessarily like some of these hundred milers and uh, I guess 50 milers, they have this type of elevation. I think it's more that it's not runnable. It's, you know, you're in these very technical, but technical doesn't even, I think when people think about technical, sometimes it doesn't come through. It's, it's just so like you'd break your ankle or trip and fall on your face if you tried to run. Right. So you're sort of walking and then you run one, two steps and then you're back walking. Right. And then there's like a wall of roots and rocks you have to sort of climb up and then back down the other side. Or you're like prancing over the roots. So you're doing this weird like high knee run kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And, and so even if you're sort of jogging or run walking, right, it, it very quickly your, your four minute per K pace that you were you know happy you were going to do for 50 miles or whatever the ambitious plan is, uh, is out the window, right? You're very quickly rolling, you know, eight minute Ks mm-hmm. despite, you know, your best efforts and the exertion being up. Yeah, yeah. We, my friend Karen and I were laughing. We did a just a sixteen mile run a, the week before we went to La Cloche, and we were laughing because it, you know, we're like, oh yeah, right, trail running. We felt super good. Everything was feeling fantastic, but we still it took us three hours to do sixteen miles, and we were running quite quick. It was just that it was you know a fairly technical trail, and it wasn't even that technical. There wasn't a ton of climbing, but trail slows you down that's just yeah and you and hillary talked about that on your trail running tips podcast there a couple ago yeah yeah you just kind of have to throw your normal ideas about pace just out the window and i think that's probably evident to most people on some you know in in some respect but maybe just the the scale right like again ryan atkins has the record it's what is it nine nine oh five nine oh five 905 right and i'm sure he can run a 50 miler if it was just flat would be much fast much faster right um, like you've done 50k races and how fast like those are like four hours is that or what was the time on that uh, I mean I've five? done I've only never done trail 50ks but I've done like a sub five hour sub five, like 50k right? yeah yeah so that you know you're on track for an eight hour then or something is that is that yeah. how that math would work yeah right so it's it's just it's it's a pretty burly trail that's the idea and I think that the nice thing that that opens up like what's the practicality of talking about that I think the practicality of that is that like that's how I feel like I'm able to do the trail right because we're not running 50 miles we're you know up and down and scaling and you get these walk breaks you know every minute you have you get to walk basically um and it's just mixed right we're up and down we're climbing we're walking you know we're sort of trying to like delicately you know go through a agility ladder almost on the way down something consummate athleting at the whole way 
Yeah. And, and then I think, you know, then we start asking questions about, well, how should you train if this is your goal? You know, then you start contesting, well, you know, running's important for this, you know, just loading, but can we really be thinking about ankle strength and, you know, probably just full body core strength? You said, you know, oh, wow, my core, I don't know how many times I basically did a dip to, you know, put my hands on the ground, scoop my butt forward, drop myself down like a ledge. I could not believe the next day I was like trying to sit up and I was like, oh, it feels like I've done like weighted sit-ups, which I guess with my pack, I basically was doing like weighted reverse crunches half the day. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about that, right, where some of the way you might allocate your training might be towards some of the strength training. It might be, you know, just doing these very technical hikes. We have a couple nice sections on the Bruce Trail here uh, near Collingwood where it's, again, some of the stuff where you're just in a rock minefield I guess you could just describe it as that like you know just rocks everywhere you're up on boulders and you're almost like having to climb from one to other and find the trail through this you know line of boulders so Mm -hmm. thinking about that both from a a training standpoint a loading standpoint and then also uh, you know we could call that site finding right or or route finding navigation yeah for sure Uh, and then food and water wise again this is something that I would say we've both been training pretty heavily because uh, I think this is one of the most important things. I talked to people who who did the trail a couple of days after us, and you know, the one woman's main struggle was keeping in sort down. of keeping food down. Yeah. So this is where I love Tailwind, not sponsored. Mm-hmm. Like, just, yeah. So it's like a and you use no flavored like. Yeah. So they have a yeah. great uh, naked flavor. It's you know your water is still going to taste sweet. Like there is very clearly something in it, but it's the lightest flavor I've ever tasted out of like any sports drink I've had and you know you put a scoop in that's 100 calories so mm-hmm. I had I think it was like 1800 calories in total were tailwind and the nice thing too is when you're filtering water and like you know it's not the greatest taste in the world we you know we use the catadin filter to clean out you know to scoop water and pour it in and it's not amazing tasting like it's decent but it's not okay and if we do our quick math so you're like say we were 12 or 13 hours so say you know your minimum you'd be aiming for maybe 2400 calories mm-hmm. if we use just our rule of thumbs of 200 cals yeah so if hour. i can get 1800 in just what i'm drinking right. that's way easier to eat another six to you know 600 to a thousand calories which i did in sort of gel form i have these great chocolate cherry cliff gels that have a lot of caffeine in them, but I'm pretty, I'd say caffeine adapted. So no issues there. And I use Cliff Bar's, the gingerbread flavor. I really love the gingerbread flavor for like a mm-hmm. sort of upset tummy. Okay. So you did a lot of pre-made stuff. It sounds like a lot of liquid calories, which sort of running, especially sort of pushes itself towards. And then especially as the day gets onward, usually I think that's where people sometimes make mistakes is, you know, we want to do whole foods. We want to be healthy and that's okay. Maybe an hour, one and two, maybe a lot of your runs are in the one to two hour. But then once you're in 12 hours in like guts, you know, just the amount of blood flow, you're starting to get dehydrated. Sometimes I think that's where it gets tricky is, you know, you try and throw a you know, whatever, a homemade banana bread or something down and it doesn't go well. Yeah, I mean, I've interviewed at this point hundreds of pro cyclists about how they eat in training, how they eat in racing, how they eat every day. And I would say 95% of them stick to the, you know, mostly whole foods all day, every day. Uh, on training rides, they're sort of going with more of that, like banana bread, PB&J, like a bit, you know, you're still a little more little more processed but you're getting into you're still kind of keeping that like whole foods i made this at home kind of situation but then race day is all just you know that process gels sports drink whatever 
uh, the the rocket fuel, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, across the board, the top performers, that's what they're doing. So. Okay. I uh, I ran mostly. There's these waffles you can get at the grocery store. They're like pre-made Belgian waffles, um, similar to what you'd get like the sports type waffles or like whatever. Like those Stroop waffle thingies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So similar to a bunch of like Honey Stinger probably made one of the first like pre-packaged mm-hmm. ones. So yeah, I found those were going down pretty well and easily. So I think I don't know what I had ten a of lot. ten of those at least. So they were just over 100 calories each. And then I had some gels. I tried to keep all the caffeine till later in the run, which you know, you can debate that. I don't know how that affected me in the morning, but I felt like it was a good boost, you know, around once we were getting to like hour, whatever, six, seven, eight, you know, maybe a little later even than that. Um, a few of those were just really nice. Yeah. And I mean, we, we should also maybe add, we didn't eat anything when we started. We literally like woke up and got on the trail. Yeah. And in the past I've done something like a insure or something like that. You know, this is what race across America. Um, we had, who was that on? Chris Strasser. Chris Strasser on talking about Race Across America. And he says it's still, you know, even these many years out, I, I always make up the statistic. It was 75% of the calories consumed in, in Race Across America was from ins- from Ensure. Uh, so this is like our our breakfast meal or that, what is it, liquid meal. Yeah. And that's what we did before Ironman back in 2017, which made sense because, you know, you have to wake up and you're there ahead of time. You like can't just get up and start your Ironman. That's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, if... If we'd had to wait to start, I totally would have done something like that. But there was no good reason we couldn't just wake up, put on shoes and basically get going. Yeah. And so I think I had a bar that was more, what are those called? They're like a, it's like eggs and. Like an RX bar? I think it was an yeah. RX bar maybe. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty natural, healthy bar. So you had your healthy breakfast? Yeah. I had that early when we sort of just, you know, we walked, I don't know if we walked even 500 meters to be honest, but we sort of did some arm swings and some lunges and then we were onto the trail and eased into it. Uh, so I had it during that period and just tried to really chew it. Uh, we mm-hmm. had, uh, again, Athlete's Gut was another episode we did. Uh, and that was, uh, and my big takeaway from that episode was uh, was Patrick Wilson, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And was to chew. And not just chew your meals. That's always, this. I think, also important that we chew our food when we're sitting down. But also in our rides, if we are going to do some of these bars, is just spend a little extra time chewing. And, and this reduces the work, you know, versus having a whole RX bar in my stomach while I'm running, you know, for eight or nine hours, you know, and getting dehydrated. Yes, just because you can swallow that bite of Cliff Bar does not mean you <laughs> right. should. Yeah, you have teeth, so use them. Yeah, what else are you doing? Uh, so that was good. I think that was, you know, the bulk of my calories. I, I felt pretty good from that perspective i was ready to eat when we were done for sure Um, i would say that's actually like the best i've ever done fueling was that day because normally when i finish i'm so like in a weird way depleted that i don't want to eat uh in this case i actually finished my pack had just emptied of water as we like walked into the campground i was happy to drink i was happy to eat i was just i was so pleased with myself on that end so i'll give myself a a gold star for my eating and drinking on that yeah and i would say you know again 12 13 hours and we were we chugged a handheld maybe to start and then we did an early handheld too so plus our bladders which are are they two liter bladders 1.6 i think mine i have the bigger one in like rammed into mine but i I can't say that i was necessarily drinking all 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 two liters 
approaching that sort of 500 mils an hour i would say uh with our handhelds combined in i'd say pretty close yeah and i mean this is i guess the tip for both laclos and i think any technical trailer you do like this if water is easily accessible on the trail mm -hmm. you stop and you at least fill your handheld i think is my new rule of thumb whether your bladder is full like yeah. whether your your person your actual bladder is full um you know you stop and you refill that water. Well, and with this trail too, because it's sort of flat and lower lying, so you're in you know great northern Ontario lakes to start the way we go, um, and then you get up onto the ridge, which is beautiful. But you know now you're up on a ridge, so you're further away from lakes for a while. So it's it's nice to know when should you get water, and that's you know having done it now a few times, we have sort of these these spots where we you know assess that, and it's it was actually very dry this time, so we were a little extra cautious that we were actually taking those good opportunities. Yeah, but I mean even even in a wet year, I'd say there's really only on that trail like maybe four spots where water is within like ten seconds of you on the trail, and you can always scamper down to lakes. But that's going to add time. Yeah, and energy. Yeah, yeah. for sure. The, the one year we walked it, we, we went down a very steep slope to get water, uh, like way too far and very steep. And then we realized, you know. If we'd maybe, just gone like 250 yeah, more yeah, meters. Further up, the trail actually went down to it. So that was sort of frustrating. So yeah, get water. We, we, we don't can. make that mistake anymore, though. Yeah. So that's good. I, while you're on that water, we were using a physical filter by Katadin. Yes. Uh, so we had one handheld, a liter handheld with a physical filter that filters out a lot of the stuff you don't want to eat and, and more for us i think it's the the taste and the uh like just bugs and <laughs> twigs and whatever you're pulling out of the lakes or streams. real disconcerting as you're like starting to pour it in and you realize there's a water bug in your bottle but right. you know and then what? we also were using we just would throw them into our packs and then try and wait i think it's 30 minutes you're supposed to wait uh, yeah, iodine tablets. Of the iodine tablets, yeah, to get the, the rest of the stuff you don't want to drink, right? So yeah, that, we're using case. two. That's probably excessive. You could probably choose one or the other and be okay, but uh, I don't like getting sick. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Giardia is no joke. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So okay. we did that. Uh, so that's food. That's fueling. Yeah. Uh, um, I think our, our last sort of big topic here is just, you know, going into it, the goals we had going into it, sort of the mid mid run or early run reframe, and then sort of just where we're at right now. So I feel like uh, goals for this might actually be the most contentious topic that you and I have, I guess, with each other. So I think maybe the, the first thing to say is that everyone kind of goes about their, their goal setting and their mindset and mental stuff uh, very differently. Uh, so heading into it, I'll say I had pretty audacious goals. You know, I really wanted to run a certain time and, you know, I really felt like that was a realistic but hard goal for me. Um, and Peter had sort of warned me that maybe my sort of background goal should be to just get through the run clean and, and, you know, safe. And that would be a pretty big win, which is very accurate. But I am also one of those people who will go to the, the minimum viable option mentally. Like, I won't mean to, but there's going to be a voice in the back of my head that's just whispering, like, minimum viable option from the gun if mm -hmm. I'm thinking about that. So to me, I almost can't have that sort of sitting in the back of my head because that's what I'll end up defaulting to. I mean, yes, I will say that you had tiered goals. So you were already thinking about like plan A, B and C. Yeah, they were all pretty like harder time. Like they were all time specific though. Right. Yeah, so 
yeah, going into it, I had those. And, you know, we also, I knew my my knee had been bothering me. My IT band had just been sort of giving me some trouble. Funny enough, uh, everyone knows my right knee has bothered me for a couple of years. This was my left knee just sort of randomly started going a, a couple of weeks ago. So we sort of knew that could potentially be an issue. And unfortunately, you know, pretty early on in it, uh, it was making some noise. I, I knew it was going to be a problem. So we, we had to kind of stop and sort of think through what to do because it would have been a very easy, you know, turnaround, bailout, like we're done. This is just not the day. And, you know, for I'd say for a lot of people, that actually probably would have been the, the wiser decision. Um, but. You know, we stopped, I stretched a bit, and I sort of knew it was going to not get worse. Like, I knew what was wrong with it. I knew if I kept going, it's going to bother me, but it's not going to be, like, problematic. I'll, I'll make it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was calculated risk, we'll say, but I knew from a mental standpoint, if I had turned around then, it was not going to be a pretty situation uh, on the drive back. I don't think Glassford here would have liked living with me for the weeks afterwards. Right. <laughs> but I, you know, to give you a ton of credit, uh, you were very quiet during my whole back and forth mental ordeal. So I realize I don't want this to be all about me or anything, but let's talk about me. How did you handle when I was, uh, sort yeah, of I mean, there's not issue? a lot to say, right? I think sometimes it's, you know, are you okay? And then sort of let the person carry on and then I think the only thing I said to you was like once we were because you sort of I was like well just you know give it a kilometer or two here and we'll just you know slow the pace a bit and just feel it out relax a bit uh and and, you know you're gonna think about it that's all you're gonna think about no matter what I say uh and then I think at some point I was like you know we're you're going to have to make a decision here like are we actually continuing on regardless or are you flipping it right like at some point I I don't want to do you know a 70k run to not finish the trail or something right like we're not going to turn around just shy of halfway right at some point you need to go for it so I think we set that around 20k which would be sort of a ridiculous hike back out but you could do it Uh, and so we got towards that and I was like so (laughs) which way are we going Uh, and you went for it so there's that so Yes, and I would just like to say I appreciate you very much for letting me make that decision. I, you know, so for any partner on any of these adventures, uh, I do think it is it's the nicest, kindest thing you can do to not make a big deal, make a big fuss, like force like a stoppage and a discussion or whatever. You know, if you trust your partner, like often like they're gonna figure out what's best for them. Like I didn't want to not mention that my knee was bothering me and I needed to slow it down or that I needed to think about it, or that we might have to turn around. I wanted you to be aware of what was going on, but I think it was equally important that you let me make that decision for myself. Because I think I would have been so easily swayed if you'd been like, ah, we should probably turn around. I would have been like, perfect, let's turn around. And Mm -hmm. then I would have been so miserable later. So just just some food for thought for anyone who's doing any of these adventures, especially with their partner, Mm -hmm. because it's tricky. Uh, so, you know, midway through, we sort of had to re I had to reframe what my expectations, what my goals were, because, you know, we'd been on good pace. Everything was looking good, feeling good until it wasn't. Uh, and then it turned to, OK, the goal is to get through and run it once clean. 
Mm-hmm. So that, that became Which is cool. often the challenge, right? I think that's where a lot of times we go into races and events and, you know, we're, we're rookies, we're newbies. We haven't, you know, completed the race maybe uh, or, or competed in it at all. Uh, and, you know, there's sort of this idea you got to, you know, complete to compete, if you will, right? Um, you know, or, or there's sometimes I've heard this more, more bluntly is like, you know, you don't deserve to be upset about it because you haven't, you know, put in enough repetitions at this thing, right? You're still so new to this. You're still such a beginner. And I'm not saying that necessarily about you. You've put in some reps on it, but it's certainly this idea that, you know, you need to finish it. If we think about Ryan Atkins doing this, I don't know how many times he actually did it, but let's say five or six, right? He did it with Eric a couple times. He did it a couple times solo. He went for the record a couple times and fell short, you know, clean otherwise, but just wasn't on pace. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I think this is the idea of sport, right? It's, it's no one's like winning, you know, rarely. I mean, there's some people that come out of nowhere and just do it. But I mean, often these overnight successes have taken a lot of reps at, at least a similar thing, right? You know, you can believe that someone who's done tons of hundred milers could come and do a great job on Killarney. But, you know, most of us need to put in repetitions. Yes, exactly. And I'll say like, it was actually challenging to stop looking at the clock and stop trying to do the math and count down and stuff. But that's, you know, sort of what I needed to do is take the time out of the equation for for most of it. Now, I will admit when we finally hit sort of the dirt highway that gets you back to the campground where it's actually still single track, but it's runnable. uh, Then I started looking down at the clock and realizing, okay, we can actually finish this in, you know, under 13 hours Mm -hmm. uh, and started kind of being able to pick up the pace a little bit. But that was with the full knowledge of, you know, there's signs that are like campsite this way. Um, Although I will say that last one that says like 250 meters is definitely lying. Uh, So if anyone's doing Killarney and they're going clockwise, just be warned that when it says it's either 250 or 500, when you finally see a sign that gives you mileage to your kilometerage to the campsite, it will feel so much longer than that sign says. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about that last uh maybe three hours two hours it's pretty hard that's where a few of these the last couple of the 10 climbs are or i guess it would be the first couple climbs if you're going the other way um but do you think if you came back and were on pace can you see how like would you be thinking more about that sprint starting then like the are you on pace and and accelerating into that last three hours ah Hard to, uh, there's a lot of actual like runnability in those sections, not necessarily in the climbs themselves, but in the sections between that I think I would have started hitting harder mm-hmm. for sure. Like There's a ton of places I definitely could have hit a lot harder. I think even just descents. Um, so for yeah, for me with my knee, like the biggest issue wasn't really even the, the running on the flat. It was actually descending was a lot harder. And there's so much stepping down or like stepping over things that was just so much more difficult for me. So I think if I took that out of the equation, I'd have a much sprintier finish there. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, had to reframe that. I was still pretty pleased with myself when I was finished. You know, we got through a hard thing, finished in, you know, a good time. Like it's not, it's not a time to sneeze at or anything. Right. Wasn't the day I wanted, but it was a good day. Uh, I think Peter got embarrassed by me because, like, unfortunately for the people who have campsites right next to the trail, I'm sure they end up hearing a lot of people, like, finishing either hiking or running or whatevering the trail and just, like, shrieking with glee. I did, like, a little bit of a victory dance kind of situation that was probably very embarrassing for 
Peter and anyone around. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, right? Like, I think that's why these other goals, like you're right, there's a mental, you know, dance we have to do around not backing off of, uh, you know, pushing ourselves, pushing our limits, right? Because it does get hard and it is easy to like sit back on, well, I'll just finish today or or whatever, right? And, and I think for you, the challenge is going to be when you come back, those last three hours are going to be like very hard, right? And it, it's yes, the uphills are also like very vigorous uphills, right? Um, and you're starting to breathe harder. And, you know, that's that's the finish sprint in, in a 10 hour exercise, you know, bout is, is that last three hours, right? In the same way that if you do like a, a 20 minute rate uh, test, you know, everyone knows their CP20 uh, or a 5k race, right? Like that last kilometer in the 5k race, that last five or three minutes in the, the 20 minute is, is that's the one where you're on the limit. Yeah, for sure. So I think for you, it's this thing that like to take joy in finishing. I think a lot of people miss out on that. And it's like, that is an accomplishment that, you know, we should all rejoice in, you know, when we finish these things and we're otherwise safe and, you know, it should be thrilling coming out of the wilderness, right? But you could see someone just being in tears because they didn't, you know, hit this ambitious goal, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's this, it's a delicate dance between, you know, having ambitious goals but also making sure that we appreciate the steps along the way because you are sort of progressing towards that goal it's just you know it takes time yeah exactly so anyway victory dance happened it was great uh had mac and cheese it was great uh and then you know this this sort of week after i think is where it gets kind of interesting because i think a lot of people are very tempted when they finish uh you know, whether it's a Leadville or something like this, it's, it's a immediate sort of what's next. Like, okay, new goal on the calendar, like start gearing up. And to me, I have to admit, I was actually, I'm so happy that I don't have anything else on the calendar. So I was like, oh, good. We get to sort of go back to the full on reset, which I think I really needed. Like I've had my two big things for the summer. Well, you have these knees that you I do have these knees on. that need to get fixed. Yeah, we had a friend who asked about your knees and what you were doing. And I was like, well, she's not running. Right. And that's sometimes hard to hear. But that's, you know, sort of that's the reset. Sometimes we talk about, you know, we've had Greg Lehman on talking about it, and he's movement optimist. You should be able to keep doing the things you love. And I 100 percent agree. But sometimes it's, you know, we need to also and he, he would say this too. you know, have you tried taking, you know, three weeks off even. Right. And sometimes that's what we need to get that that body to reset, that mind to reset. Um, you know, whatever there is to sort of not be, we could call inflamed or whatever, right? Those movement patterns to change. Yeah. So I've been doing a bit of biking again and sort of getting back to some, you know, core and strength and all that fun stuff. Uh, conveniently, it also coincided with us being able to get our, our second vaccine. So that's a plus, uh, sort of, da- you know, down a peg with that. Um, but really, to me, I think it's a great chance to, instead of necessarily thinking about goal setting for the next big thing, Um, I've actually kind of taken more of a goal setting for my sort of overall health and fitness approach. So that's more of, I'd say like the, the training phase that I'm in is thinking more about like, okay, how do I come back where I'm this more, this more consummate athlete style person who, you know, is sort of strong and that maybe bulletproof will say, like, how do I get it? So my knees don't go during the next training block. And how do I sort of set up that? whether it's six months, whether it's a year, whether it's two months, I'm like ready for whatever the the next adventure is instead of necessarily just like plopping another date on the calendar and then immediately just like, you know, 
uh, reverse engineering the training from that date. Well, I'm going back to do, trying to do 50K runs or something every weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just, you're just asking, it's a very risky proposition, right? I always say running is, is super dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And it's not for any like acute major thing. It's just, there's a lot of a lot of pounding going on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think everyone can, you know, maybe consider this. I think it's very tempting to, when you finish a big adventure, put the next adventure on the calendar and start scheduling out to it. But, you know, maybe maybe take that pause for a few weeks and not no training necessarily, just maybe reflecting. And we actually put up a post about that last week. We'll link to it in the show notes, sort of thinking through some of the questions you can be asking yourself. And I was like thinking about training and saying, like, what were the what were the fun things I did in this block? What were the workouts that made me feel the best or the runs that made me feel the best or whatever? When was I feeling like my my best self? Uh, And, you know, when was I the least happy? So will this be, you know, you're going to start a bit more strength, you think? You're going to do a bit more biking, which you weren't doing any biking. You haven't really biked even this year. Um, Yeah, which has been very weird for me with no no training camps to coach. I haven't really had to be on the bike at all. So I really hadn't been on the bike. And I was gearing up for these two very big runs. Okay. And you're doing a bit of therapy, nothing fancy, but, you know, sort of trying to get in, you know, a bit of massage, you know, maybe a tiny bit of physio or something as we go through. As we say, you're not running right now, but hopefully get you eased back into shorter stuff. And, you know, I'm sure David will have you doing some speed, some strides. Yeah, exactly. And I think my my big thing is always trying to not do the extremes, not ignore a problem, but also not overtreat, which has been my tendency in the past. That idea of less. Yeah, it's so hard when when someone, you know, I get a lot of pushback from, you know, any endurance athlete because they want to do more, right? They want to work harder. And, and I'm no different. But it's it's that idea that sometimes, you know, just you're just not running. You actually took something out of your life. Uh, and then it gets better, right? Versus you could do, you know, all this extra stuff and spend all day digging away at your IT band. And well, yeah, the number of people that are like, but are you, are you scraping? Are you rolling? Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? Water? You got to go water running now Mm -hmm, too. mm -hmm. Which I mean, yes, I am foam rolling and doing all of those things, but I'm trying to do it in moderation and not just like end up hurting myself worse because I'm trying to make it better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think that's, that's definitely the, the tendency of the, endurance athlete we'll and, say. and we talked about too I, I mentioned strides there and uh you know david liking speed work and you know the just the benefits that come along with that but uh, you know that's what i i said to you too is and i think some of the pain you were having was part of it but you start when you're doing these ultras you start developing this like efficient stride that's almost like a shuffle i think there's a name for i don't know if it's like the ultra marathon shuffle or marathon or shuffle or something like this right where the knees aren't really coming up and it, it does it stops looking like running right and that's because you're not going fast enough to really warrant a large knee you know flexion and or sorry hip flexion and knee flexion it makes for super lame pictures by the way yeah everyone's just sort of like you know that your foot turns out and you sort of don't bring your your foot very high off the ground and you just sort of move it around right and, and that's efficient when you're you know jogging for 100 miles you know let's be honest none of the speeds are very fast so it makes sense it's a good solution but then you wonder what are the effects of turning your foot out and you know hips getting tighter and not using hip flexors and uh you know and this is where i think you know short taking a break and then going back to the basics of you know speed gradually building volume i think volume's still great uh, but looking at that quality piece, right, can be like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, the IT band doesn't hurt anymore because we're like, you know, running in a, you know, more, we could say proper way at least, or a different way, a more speedy way. Yes, exactly. And it's summer, so I'm excited to have been jumping in the bay and going for little swims, pretending I'm on a Caribbean island scuba diving or something. 
which has been feeling really good. So yeah, just kind of more more of that variety, but definitely the strength. Like I I miss feeling strong. I miss feeling like I can just pick up whatever and do whatever. Part of that's probably a little age. You know, I'm now a little more nervous when I pick stuff up about my back, but I'd like to get back to to feeling a little stronger. So yeah, okay. that's that's where I'm at. Cool. How I about think the you? Only, uh, what am I doing? Yeah. I, I probably should start riding my bike a bit more, but uh, we'll try and do that. I'm going to keep running. I actually said to you yesterday, it's been a really busy week um, putting that run in the middle of actually, we're trying to stack all the spring clinics on top of the summer clinics and, and sessions and everything else. Uh, so we're sort of roughly coming out of that sort of makeup period, uh, which is good. So I'm hoping to ride more. Uh, but yesterday was the first day. So we we're a week and a day-ish out from the run. So we'll call that eight days. And that was the first day I actually felt like I wanted to run. Uh, mm. And was sort of like, you know, we were in a clinic yesterday. It was really sunny. And I was like, I, I could probably go for a run today. I, I sort of missed that a little bit. right? Yeah. So I hope that comes back. And we are having some good social, you know, big runs with friends. So uh, hopefully we get into, back into that here and enjoy the summer. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's wrap up there. If anyone has any questions about any of this stuff that we've just talked about, we'd love to hear from you. We're definitely doing more Q&A episodes as summer gets going. Uh, so, yeah, hit us up over at consummateathlete.com. You can find us at consummateathlete on Instagram and we're on Twitter and Facebook and sort of all the places. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, drop us a line and let us know what you're wondering about. All right. Get out on some adventures and have a great week. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.